It's Wednesday. Welcome back to Benzinga's pre-market prep. And uh, I guess the market can go down too. I mean, the way the, the way this year's been going, it's been, uh, you know, looking pretty good for the bulls. But if you've been bearish, you can finally say this morning, look, I was right. Tech went, tech moved uh, too much, too fast. You can see after AMD, Microsoft's earnings, Q's trading lower this morning. Uh, we will get into those earnings. I've got my man Dennis hanging out backstage. So let's go ahead and get the show started because we've got a lot to talk about today from, again, the tech earnings coming out after the close yesterday. Uh, you know, we got some news from Tesla, from Elon Musk out of a court in Delaware. So without further ado, let's roll that intro and we'll get straight into it when we come back. Coming to you live from downtown Detroit, this is Benzinga's Pre-Market Prep. With your host, Joel Conan. This is a volatile puppy here, isn't it? And Dennis Dick. I'm bidding a penny. I'd buy that stock for a penny. With everything you need to start your trading day. All right, we'll just run through the indices real quick before we bring Dennis on. You got the S&P 500, SPY trading down about three-tenths of a percent. Q's a little uglier out there this morning, again, after some weak tech earnings last night, down eight-tenths of a percent. Coming back, though, which I'm sure we'll talk about, uh, and then we'll go check out the Dow up a little bit, up about one-tenth of a percent. We saw the Dow actually close in the green yesterday while the Qs and SPY closed red. So Dow been outperforming the past couple of days. We'll see if that continues to be the case pre-market. Let's bring on my man, Dennis Dick. Dennis, how you doing this morning? Good. Hat on a swivel. This was one of the busiest night. Well, this was the busiest night of the year for earnings and for trading. Just wild action. Chop, volatility, ETF effects, so much going on, Aaron. Yeah, so let's start with just some of the earnings. We'll start with AMD, and then we'll get into these ETF effects going on this morning. So uh, we'll go into the actual numbers for AMD. So basically, the numbers themselves came in in line. You had uh, you know, EPS come in in line. This is in Benzinga Pro, $0.77 cents a share. Sales at $6.2 billion, beat the $6.12 billion estimate. But as we've talked about so many times, Dennis, it's not as much about, hey, what'd you do last quarter? It's what are you going to do the next quarter? And yeah. uh, AMD's projection for quarter one came in below what the street was expecting. And I mean, we talked about this, just how high the bar had been set for yeah. chip stocks. After, you know, the strength in NVIDIA, after SMCI. So AMD, I mean, you know, you basically like had to report a killer earnings report. And we talked about this with David Prince yesterday that like they would have needed to raise guidance by a substantial amount for the reaction to be positive. So, again, I mean, if you're an AMD shareholder, you can look at the numbers and say, hey, I mean, this actually looked pretty good. But again, the market's punishing it. Uh, because that projection for Q1 came in below the street's estimates. Stock trading down now more than 7% this morning. Yeah, big move down here. Well, actually, it's not down 7%. Those are oh, bad whoa. ticks. So what we see, and we it's talk about now it's at 8 like o'clock, you get bad ticks. So it's actually 163 is the last. It's down 5%. It Got keeps it. ticking 160. We know, I've, I've told you guys about this before. The one At 8 o'clock, you start getting these FINRA prints. They're from like, I don't know where they are because, again, we don't have transparency on the FINRA tape. FINRA just encompasses every off-exchange trading trade that exists. So it's dark pools, market makers, crosses. It's everything. We've asked you know the regulators for more transparency in the FINRA tape. It is literally half the trades. Almost 50% of your trades go to FINRA, and they just throw it in everything, FINRA. If it gets done off-exchange, it's FINRA. So a lot of these trades you're seeing are like late reports that aren't actually moving the market. So all these 160s going by, those aren't trades occurring right now. It's 163 and a quarter bit, I can tell you that. So, you know, the real price right now is down 5%. So there's a little market structure lesson for you. But AMD, simple case of expectations way too high. Expectations way too high. I was nervous going to the print. 
David from T3 was nervous going into the print. He made me more nervous going into the print. Remember, I was like, I don't know. I kind of want to sell half. I did sell half of my position um, on right after the open yesterday. We talked about it. I sold half of my SMCI. I tweeted it out. I also sold half of my AMD. Those were my longer term positions for the simple reason. What first reason on SMCI was it just run too far too fast. You know, and I feel like there's going to be a cooling period. I sold the opening print on SMCI, which was 547. Obviously, good sale. And AMD, I sold at 176, which was just after the opening print. Um, again, just nervous holding it through the print after it had had such a move up. Didn't sell any of my NVIDIA. I still believe uh, I still believe in the AI story. I need to rebuy these stocks at some point in time, but I feel like this is a cool-off period that these stocks need. Yeah, and you can see uh, analysts coming in this morning. Again, this is all in Benzinga Pro, pro.benzinga.com. You can do a free two-week trial. Um, Citigroup maintains buy, 192 price target. JP Morgan maintains. So it looks like the analysts aren't getting scared off. Actually, some of these analysts were raising their price targets probably by a pretty you know small amount here. Um, someone asked it in the chat, is it buy the dip on AMD? Well, here's the thing. This earnings report doesn't change anything when it comes to the long-term story of AMD, when it comes to this, this AI story. It's it's more just about, in the short term, did this thing go up too much too fast? Maybe yeah. a little bit, and maybe you're just seeing yeah. the pullback. And so, you know, would I be going out and buying the dip this morning? Maybe not. Maybe there's going to be some more tech weakness throughout the rest of the week. We're going to get some more earnings, which we will talk about today, uh, what's still on the docket for the rest of the week. Um, but in terms of like the overall story for AMD one week quarter, it's not like, oh my God, this thing is, is losing so much of its market share to other companies and it's going to be in a downward spiral. Like, no, I mean, I think this is still a strong company. I still believe in Lisa Sue. I still believe I do too. in the, in the story of everything. So, uh, you know, again, would I be going out and buying it today? Probably not because I think there's a good chance that it ends up trading lower than it is right now at some point in the next week, couple weeks. But do I think five years from now it's trading higher than $163 a share? I do. So again, do not, financial, not a financial advice, but that's just how I would kind of, uh, you know, ask yourself what your time frame is. Because if you're looking at it for a swing trade, you know, whatever, I'd maybe wait a little bit. If you're looking at it for a long-term position, then it, you know, I, I don't know how much difference it's going to make if you get in today versus waiting a little bit. Um, I believe in Lisa Sue. I still believe in the AI story here. I do think the dip eventually gets bought, but I always apply kind of the three-day rule where you wait a little bit, wait for a consolidation period, and then if you really wanted to come in and buy it. I mean, Tesla would have worked kind of well. I mean, it was did make the low Tesla on the first day. But then it kind of retested, it kind of retested, and then it popped up. Now we're, you know, we're, we'll talk Tesla in a minute because there's more news yep. again. I think just sometimes relaxing for a couple of days and let the dust settle. Like I bought the Oracle dip originally. It worked because the stock obviously is you know, up 10 points from where I bought it. But I had the big dip on the earnings, 115 down to 100. Kind of just had three, four days of chop in that same price range, but didn't make a new low. You just don't want to get in a situation where the stock starts breaking down and making new lows again. So I think that's where we've got to be careful is, you know, it's just jumping on day one saying, yep, you know, the story is going to come right back. I do think it does come back. And maybe, you know, if you're buying it here, maybe you will be happy. But the valuation is not cheap at AMD. When we were buying it last year, when we were talking about it, the stock was $95, trained 29 times forward earnings. Now it's 55 times forward earnings. So it's just run a long ways. It's not cheap. And, you know, David, there was a lot of good arguments made yesterday. Um, I was reading, you know, even on Twitter, and I forget who made the argument, but they're like looking at it and saying, well, why would I buy AMD at 50 times forward earnings when I can buy NVIDIA at 29 times forward earnings? And NVIDIA is the leader right now. And NVIDIA is the company that AMD wants to be. And I'm like, those are good arguments. Part of me wants to take my proceeds from AMD and SMCI, because I just sold those two, half of it. I still have half the positions. Uh, but I do have some proceeds from those sales. And this is the long-term portfolio. And plow it all into NVIDIA. I kind of want to do that, which is crazy. You know, I'm adding to the winner, you know, bringing up my cost basis, really. But that's how much I believe in NVIDIA here. I know people are like, oh, the valuation NVIDIA, it's trading. And it, again, they look at trailing multiples to make their ridiculous arguments, because that's what they do. 
but even the trailing multiple on NVIDIA, it's 82 times. Like, you can't pay 82 times. Well, the forward multiple is 30 times. And they're growing earnings so fast. Do you think, Aaron, I'm going to throw it to you, SMCI just raised guidance ridiculously. We know NVIDIA did it last year. I kind of think NVIDIA is going to do it again. I kind of think they're going to come out and announce like and raise guidance again. Uh, and and like not just a little bit, like a lot. I kind of feel like they're going to do it again. Well, if I don't know, I mean, I you know, I they could, but if Nvidia does raise guidance and you had SMCI raise guidance, then that I think makes the AMD report even worse. That it's hey, it's not you know just an overall slowing demand for chips or semiconductors out there. It's it's specifically AMD's products, which. You know, going back to your point at AMD being more expensive. So I think in general, you sometimes see this where you have a lead, the leader, NVIDIA, and then its biggest competitor, kind of the one behind. People assume, okay, AMD is going to catch up to NVIDIA, that AMD uh, is going to start competing, taking away some market share. And you did see some news like that in the last quarter. Some of the big tech companies talking about that they were maybe switching to some of AMD's chips over nvidia's and and that kind of got some hype up about nvidia but uh, or about amd i'm sorry and i think that's where a lot of people kind of their heads are at is okay nvidia's already done this i'm gonna pick this the, the the horse that's catching up to it you know in amd when sometimes to your point you don't see that you see the leaders continue to be stronger the big get bigger and then yeah. you know more separation between those two companies so I don't, I mean, I think, like I said, uh, I still believe in AMD's story, and I don't think you can really go wrong long-term between NVIDIA and AMD, but that is an interesting, you know, kind of argument is will NVIDIA continue to outperform AMD or will you see kind of this catch-up where the laggard, you know, starts getting closer to the leader? And I think there's been expectation for that, which is why you see AMD's multiple trade higher um, it's kind of like, I mean, kind of a crazy analogy, but it's kind of like Bitcoin versus Ethereum, like Ethereum smaller or whatever, but people like, it's almost like sexier that people want the, the Ethereum it's, it's more growthy, whatever. So I don't know. I mean, I would still probably rather own Nvidia. I think it just it is the clear. I think I do too. And that's why I haven't sold any shares of Nvidia. I'm going to say on this show, again, I've said this before, but I'm going to say, I think Nvidia is going to be a thousand dollar stock. I think NVIDIA is going to be a $1,000 stock. And people are be like, you are nuts, Dennis. It's going back to 100 bucks, where it came from. This AI story is real, folks. This isn't the metaverse, and maybe the metaverse turns into something. This isn't blockchain. This isn't, you know, all these. This is real. This AI story is real, and every company wants to get into it. And you know every company is getting into it by buying these AI chips that NVIDIA and AMD will be selling. This story is real. I believe there is a possibility that NVIDIA could eventually be the most valuable company in the world. I'm saying that right now. I don't know if like, that would be, you know, the stock price would more than double from here. I'm not quite saying that at a thousand bucks, but I think NVIDIA can go to a thousand dollars. And I think on pullbacks, this is the one that you're buying. I honestly think all the bears out there that keep giving the argument that it's trading, you know, at ridiculous valuations aren't looking at our earnings multiples. The only argument you can really give if you're a bear, and I just wrote this in the chat, is it's all pull forward and these earnings aren't going to be sustained and the margins are going to come in and it's all pull forward. And those are good arguments. But if you're just coming in and arguing that's trading 85 times earnings, I'm not paying that. You're not doing your homework because it's not trading 85 times earnings, folks. So give me the argument, if you're a bear, give me the argument that it's all pull forward and anyway, AI story is going to cool off. So then demand's going to start to actually decline or growth going to slow substantially and margins are going to contract. That argument I could see. You know, that's the bear argument. I think there's a lot of pull forward here too, but I think the demand is going to continue to be there. And I think the margin compression is coming, but I think there's going to be so much demand continuing to go forward for their chips that I think, and I think they're still going to develop more things. Like, I don't think this is just the end. So, I mean, there's just going to be so much movement into AI. I think it's going to be NVIDIA and AMD that power that movement. Yeah, and I mean, speaking of the AI story, let's move on to Microsoft, which again, I mean, probably if you're talking AI stocks, it's Microsoft and NVIDIA 1-2 right now in terms of, of the biggest 
uh, most successful players in the space. Of course, Microsoft with its investment in open AI. Um, Microsoft EPS beat estimate to $2.93 versus the $2.76 estimate. Sales beat. So you had both numbers beat top line. Uh, and the stock still traded lower. You had strong cloud growth from uh, from Azure. And the stock still traded lower. And again, I mean, like I, I sound like a broken record here, but it okay. I, I think just basically comes down to the bar being set too high, the expectations uh, you know, being too high. The stock slipped at one point. What was it down, Dennis? At one point, like three, four percent. And now basically you're yeah, seeing the, back. You're seeing the dip get bought, which if yeah. any if I would have expected that from any stock after the earnings, it would have been Microsoft. Cause I mean, here's the thing you see Microsoft down any substantial amount right now and it's like okay well this thing i mean the numbers looked good you still have the, the yeah. ai story there you still yeah. have the growth um yeah. and now we're you know basically flat pre-market so uh you, you know if, if you were trading this like if you were selling options into this saying hey i don't think the move is going to be that drastic then you probably made some good money if you played this any other way i don't i don't know i mean you know it's always frustrating when you buy calls or puts on a company into earnings then it doesn't move at all you're like what the what the hell this was supposed to be like the big catalyst and then it's, it's pretty flat so uh what's your take on on microsoft heading into the open today uh similar take to you i'm not surprised the dip got bought here quickly it never really dipped that much like we had a dip it got under 400 briefly and then they announced guidance and they popped it up and actually went green for a bit and now it's just kind of hanging out near flat um this stock has just a world of underneath demand too. You know, the AI story is real in Microsoft as well. I like it better in NVIDIA, the AI story. And I keep looking like, why am I paying 29 times or 30 times for Microsoft when I buy NVIDIA 30 times? Um, I just think NVIDIA is just the better value of the AI play and the more pure AI play. But, you know, I have, you know, lack of, you know, I, I have, you know, I, I wish I owned Microsoft. You know, I did at one time. And I know I didn't see this, you know, huge AI story coming from it when I sold it over a year ago. So, you know, I do wish Microsoft would have a pullback that I could buy. But I think there's so many people that wish that, that this is a difficult stock to get a pullback on. You know, there's probably a merch here happening. I mean, when the story is hot, valuation doesn't matter. The story, the valuation is high here, but it's not insane. We're not like in the tech bubble. Again, people keep comparing this to tech bubble. I believe Microsoft's P in the tech bubble was 70 times. So we're not 70 times, we're half of that, less than half of that, 32 times. But still, we're an expanded multiple, you know, about a 50% premium to the overall market, but maybe it should command that premium. So I'm not bearish Microsoft whatsoever. I wish it would pull back so I could buy it. Uh, going back to your call that NVIDIA could be the most valuable company in the world, can I kind of toot my own horn for, horn for a second, sure. Dennis? All right, I'm going to pull up a tweet. So this is from... Uh, June seventeenth, twenty twenty one. Our Benzinga's very own Neil Hamilton. Nice. You guys probably you guys probably miss him on the on the Benzinga YouTube. He said we talk a lot about the biggest or fastest growing companies, but what is the most important company in the global economy today, publicly traded only? I said Nvidia. Holy Aaron. I said oh Nvidia. Oh my God, you were all over this. And this is in two thousand twenty one. I said the company revolutionized gaming, but now the technology is being used in robotics, AI, and self driving cars. Expensive, but for good reason. Where was the price on June seventeenth, twenty twenty one? Well, let's go back I'm to our business. Tell you, Aaron, you should have been texting me and telling me this stuff. Well, oh look, I mean, oh my gosh, Aaron, the price was what was it? About one hundred and eighty bucks. June 2021, finding yeah, it right. About $180. We did get the pullback because COVID happened after that. Or not COVID, because of the tech bubble burst after that. Yeah. But wow, Aaron, you were all over this, AB. You were all over this. Please tell me you own some NVIDIA. I do own some NVIDIA. I Although I did, I did own, I mean... I learned my lesson, Dennis, because I, I definitely sold some when, when tech started getting crushed. And then at one point... What, what did Nvidia get down to? And no, okay, it got even crushed. It got way, it got way lower. I think. Oh yeah, here in 2022. I think this is when I sold some because, like, it, it was my biggest position in my long-term portfolio by like uh, a wide margin. Like my portfolio was more than 50% Nvidia, Dennis. And then it oh, was yeah. down like eight, like uh, I don't know what it was, a 60% drawdown from its highs. And I was like, I, I, I guess I'm wrong on this. Like I gotta sell some, and so I sold some. 
uh, and then, of course, been beating myself up for it. But I still have exposure to it. And I mean, I, I you know, hold a lot of indexes, too, between SPY and Qs. So uh, I, I do still own NVIDIA shares. But yeah, that one hurts a little bit. Big time hurts. Um, but again, fantastic call, Aaron. I mean, you were all over this before anyone was all over this talking about NVIDIA and AI chips. That's two years ago, over two years ago, two yep. and a half years ago. But sometimes um, being yeah, so, so I'm late to the party here. I didn't buy my Nvidia till four hundred dollars, four hundred and three dollars. I wanted to be in the store. We had the pullback from five hundred to four hundred. And you know, I talked about it that day, saying, you know, I bought Nvidia here because I believe in the story of AI driving twenty twenty four. Obviously, I would wish I wouldn't have diversified and just went all in on Nvidia and SMCI and AMD at that point in time. And maybe I could sit back and retire if I went all in, but I never go all in. My biggest problem why I probably don't get really rich is I always am cautious. I'm a cautious investor. I still diversify. And I never put, you know, all my money and all my chips on one stock, you know, where there's other people that go all in on one stock and that stock hits. They're all over Twitter and they're heroes. But the problem is there's so many people that go all in on one stock and the stock misses. And you don't hear anything about those people on Twitter. So for everyone that probably becomes, you know, multi-millionaire off of, you know, just one hit, there's probably about a hundred people that, you know, hit, struck out on that. So I've never been one to swing for the fences. Wish I would, you know, be more aggressive and put all my money in, you know, these calls. But I've always played diversified. It's just the way I am. I'm, yeah, and Dennis, I, that way. I, I think we're aligned. I think we're aligned on a lot of things, but you know, that's one of those. I mean, like Charlie Munger calls diversification, diversification. Uh, and I'm a big, big proponent of for like most people. Which is insane. Like, wait a second. Charlie Munger calls that? What is Berkshire Hathaway? Well, he called it. He called it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. I mean, they're diversified. Well, why they're is diversified all, all over. Well, I guess Burke's becoming all in on Apple. But I yeah. mean, what, what, why does Burke own 35, 40 stocks and 25 private companies if he doesn't believe in diversification. That makes no sense whatsoever. Yeah. I mean, I guess that, the are... comment is just like this. I would not expect that comment from him, you know, and I, I believe Buffett's always believe in diversification, but shocked that that comment came from Charlie Munger, considering how diversified Berkshire Hathaway has been the whole time. I mean, yeah, I I agree. Uh, I mean, so what I was going to say is that I think for most people, right, like you can't go wrong just holding the indices, holding SPY, holding Qs. I mean, it's, it's proven that, you know, the S&P 500 outperforms most fund managers. And like most people like, look, like that, Dennis, they're not doing what we're doing, reading all these headlines and interpreting the news every day. So, uh, you know, probably better off doing that. But if you have, if, if you think you have an edge or you're like, you know, really, convicted on a company then i don't think it, it's necessarily like the worst thing it, you know like i remember like my dad got was, was super big into apple early on like we, when when like ipods first came out in like the early 2000s he was you know buying a lot of apple stock and had it as like an outweighted yeah. position obviously worked out for him so i kind of view it through that lens of being like i need to do that i need to try to find the next apple and put like 10 percent of my net worth in it uh, but i wouldn't do that without a feeling like I had like some sort of an edge or just being super convicted on the company. And again, I think for most people that maybe don't have the time to really be doing due diligence and, and following the news this closely, you're better off just being diversified. You're better off holding the S&P 500. Here uh, is the difference. If you're young, like you, AB, you can take more chances. If you're 60 years old, and you're going all in and put 100% of your money on, you know, black, you know, like one stock. I mean, that's just not the thing to do. So probably matters. Diversification probably matters more as you get older. You know, Joel, who's 80 years old here, you know, is going to be diversified and a lot of cash because, hey, his better earnings years are behind him now. You know, he's getting older. My better years, you know, my eyesight's not what it was 20 years ago. I've been trading professionally for 25 years. Do I got another 25 in me of trading? Probably not. You know, my vision, AI is coming, all the reasons. So I think, you know, diversification for me is prudent. Do I wish I went all in earlier, 20 years ago on, you know, like different, you know, heavier stuff? Yeah. You know, and, you know, maybe I learned the hard way too. I can remember, you know, making money up, you know, bright trading my first couple of years. And I took all of my, you know, I took a lot of my, you know, tech money winnings, you know, that I made day trading and I invested in a bunch of tech funds 
back like in 2000. That te one tech fund that I invested in fell like 90% AB. Nine, zero, not nine, 90. So probably when my investing year started, I probably got burned in maybe the worst market crash that we ever had. You know, worse than, you know, like, um, you know, the eight crash of 87, which was down 27% in one day. It was worse. The NASDAQ was 5,000. It hit 5,100. At the low, it went down back to 1,100. Holy cow. So I think I just realized, and that isn't like a stock. That's the entire NASDAQ. The S&P went from peak to trough. I think it dropped 66%, something like that. Something crazy. So, I mean, that 2000, you know, tech bubble burst that took two years to happen was, you know, probably poisoned me as an investor. I was like, I'm never going to go all in on tech. Never, I'm going to always stay diversified. And you know what? If I would have turned around and just said, screw it, I'm going to do it again. I put all my money in Amazon, you know, maybe and I'd be telling maybe me and you wouldn't be talking right now because I'd be retired on an island. <laughs> well, so, in a way, I'm you know, blowing so it up. Point, so just finish my point. Point being, I think if you're young, you can go heavy bets on stuff and don't worry as much about diversification. If you're older, protect that capital because your better earnings years are behind you. Yeah. And I mean, that goes for, you know, outside of just age too. I mean, everyone's going to have different investing goals. Maybe you want to just make sure you're beating inflation. Maybe you, you know, like my sure. prime objective in my portfolio is growth. Like I, I don't care yeah. about, you know, yeah. just tracking the asset. Like I, and so I have been looking for companies that I can put like outweighted positions in and really say like, you know, and it's like, I want to find that next Apple or whatever it is, but it, it, it sounds a lot easier than it is, right? To go out and find a, a company that has all this growth yes. ahead of itself that's revolutionizing a space. Um, and, and I think you did have an opportunity in the last decade with NVIDIA. Someone's asking if you were 20 years younger, would you go in on all in on NVIDIA? And I think right now it's, it's a lot harder to say yes than it would have been maybe a, a year or two ago. I think you need a, I think you want a pullback here. Like I've added to this multiple times and still, because I think it's going to a thousand. That's still not like, it's not a crazy call because I'm not saying the stock's going to go up tenfold. I'm saying the stock could go up like another 70% from here. So, I mean, it sounds like a bold call, but it's like, you know, it's, you're not going to like, you know, quadruple your money in NVIDIA. The market cap is just too high, but you're not going to lose it all either. So, you know, I don't know if NVIDIA is the one I would go all in on right now. I'm just right. not my style. I'm just not an all-in trader. And, you know, even with trading, I've always diversified my trading account. Always, always, always. I've been burned before. I'm probably, again, too cautious. My instincts are excellent. I've always been a good day trader. I'm probably too conservative. You know, that is my flaw in life. It's probably, you know, why, you know, I'm, I'm not super duper rich. You know, I've done well for myself can pay the bills like live in a nice house you know all from trading but you know i probably am too conservative so if you want to get ultra super rich you got to go a little bit heavier on your bets yep and uh let's get back to the earnings real quick i see our guest hanging out backstage we'll bring on greg weldon in a few minutes but before we yep. do that we got to talk some google uh google trading down a little bit more than five percent pre-market i hope unless we're still getting bad ticks uh let's go ahead and pull up <laughs> the numbers real quick for google um we had let's see eps came in at a buck 64 beat by four cents revenue came in at 86 billion beat by uh, about a billion so again pretty similar to microsoft where they beat on 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 uh top and bottom line you saw weakness in a couple key areas you saw ad sales fall by four percent which that's important because a lot of people will look at the ad sales for google and stuff like that as like i don't want to say a proxy for the economy but saying like what's going on there because if, if everything's going great then what you would think would happen is that companies would be spending, you know, at least the same amount of money on advertising as they were the quarter before. And you typically see companies pull back in advertising when they are trying to cut costs or spend less. Uh, and then you also saw YouTube revenue come in slightly below expectations. So, I mean, Google is just one of these massive companies that's got its hands in different things. So it almost makes it on earnings reports like harder to go through and find, oh yeah, this area was strong, this area was weak. But again, getting beat on that slowing ad demand, um, probably investors or traders just worried that this could be a sign of things to come. 
Yeah, and you know what? Competition. The one thing, and I sold my Google for this reason, is I'm worried about competition coming into search. I'm worried about you know products like maybe it's not ChatGPT, but the next ChatGPT coming in and giving competition to the Google monopoly, which it does have. I'm worried that we won't all just be going on to Google to find our answers, that the answer is going to be brought to us. That's a, a concern for Google. So, you know, again, are they going to be bringing out the product, you know, that competes there? Is it Baird? Is that what they have? Is it Baird? Uh, yes, Baird. Baird, Baird, Baird. Baird. Um, you know, and again, you know, they're going to be a big part of AI as well. And the valuation is much more reasonable on Google. Last time I looked, it was like 22 times or 23 times earnings. Maybe it's moved up since then because the stock's moved up. Would I buy a pullback on Google? Probably. This isn't one of the premier AI plays, in my opinion, though. It, 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 it's it's going to be. It's just, it's kind of like Apple, you know, it's going to be a big player, but I don't want to be early here. It's not getting the Microsoft love. It's not getting the NVIDIA love or AMD love. It's getting, uh, um, you know, it, but people believe in the company and the valuation is reasonable. And I think if you're buying a Google pullback, you probably can't go wrong. Again, Google's one that I had in my long-term portfolio for a long time. I did get spooked out of it because of chat GPT. And I was like, what if they start losing some you know market share to Microsoft here? That's going to be a disaster. That hasn't really materialized much yet, but that could still happen. So that's the wild card with Google. If they start losing market share on search, can the AI components that they have make up for that? I'm not certain. So I don't love Google as much as some of the others. Yeah, I mean, I've I've been trying to, I guess, kind of track my own, what I've been doing. And it's like, do I go to ChatGPT for certain things? Yes, but if I am just Googling searching something i'm still going to google right now and i think that's probably the case for most people i think there's like you know a number of things that chat gpt is better for but mm. for my day-to-day -day, i'm still using google primarily when going to search something uh of course to your point that it could be you know like the next iteration of chat gpt or a new product that's using this ai that is going to start taking away a lot of search traffic from google and then while we're talking about competition i see people in the chat talking about tiktok a hundred percent you have youtube losing out uh market share to tiktok not only in terms of just uh you know how much time people are spending on the app you have YouTube uh, shorts that compete with the videos on TikTok, but then also the advertising spend. I mean, if you're an advertise, if you're if you got to spend money for your company advertising and you're trying to target young people, and you have TikTok has more users and more, uh, you know, the videos are getting more views. I don't know why you would go to YouTube over TikTok. I don't know exactly. I guess how the advertising works on each platform, but. Um, Certainly a concern there as well. I think the, the search traffic and stuff is obviously a way bigger portion of Google's business than YouTube is right now, but still something to consider. Uh, going just real quick, uh, I think it was back here in in February. I could be wrong on this. So someone in the chat, maybe help me out if, I'm, if I am wrong on this, uh, which I guess we were saying it wrong. It's barred, not bared, um, bard, bard. but, but bard. Uh, I remember the day Google rolled out Bard, like, and they kind of rushed it out like a month after ChatGPT. Oh, yeah, they were trying to get out there and made the mistake. <laughs> yeah, and to say, hey, look at how great like ours is too, and it made this mistake. Funny. And and Funny. Google in like a two day span dropped ten percent, like hundred fifty dollars yeah. in, in in valuation. Yeah. I was on YouTube on Benzinga saying like, this is crazy. Like AI, we're in we're in like like we're not even in the. The, you're talking about a baseball game. We're not even in like the national anthem of the AI story. We haven't even gotten yeah. to the, the ceremonial first pitch, and yet they're punishing Google 150 billion dollars. Yeah. Like, give it some time. Like, I'm sure it'll Funny. be fine. And then I, you know, so I was buying Google below 100 dollars, and then it ripped up to like 130. So that was a good trade, but I sold uh, there. And and I'm I'm with you, Dennis. That I think it's it's very similar to Apple. The Google and Apple are two of the biggest tech companies in the world. They're not going to let the AI just walk by and say, "Oh yeah, we're good on that. We're going to we're going to, you know, not get our hands in AI." But are they the leaders right now? No, not even close. So if you're trying to like trade the AI trade Google, Apple, maybe not, but if 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 you do think they will be able to execute on the AI story long term, which I do think both companies will eventually, they're just not going to be like the forefront leaders right now. Um, then you do you do still have that story, but again, just kind of uh, you know would not be in my top two, three AI plays right now. I think yeah, I agree with all that. And I think AI again. I I think we're going to talk about all the five years from now. We're talking about all these companies in AI. 
you know, everybody's moving towards there. But what's going to cause that movement? Kramer, and we're going to bring on Greg here right now just in a second, but I just want to give this analogy. Maybe you could bring Greg into the conversation just after I give the analogy. But Kramer gave this great analogy yesterday, and he's like, NVIDIA is the sun, and all these other companies are just revolving around it. And I'm like, holy. I'm like, that is kind of right. I mean, the chips, the NVIDIA chips, is what's going to power all this. And again, may, maybe there's going to be AMD moving in to be the sun as well. But it's still like, you can talk about AI and all of this stuff. What's going to power that? The chips. The chips are going to power it. So you could see like NVIDIA being a customer to almost everyone eventually. Like everyone, every business, every small business. Think about the IW, all small businesses trying to get an AI. How are they getting there? Chips. So, I mean, I just think it's going to be a chip world. And we're all going to be living in it. And it's hard to bet against chips. Let's bring Greg in. Let's do it. Uh, we're going to bring on Greg Weldon. Let's give Greg our very special Benzinga pre-market prep. Welcome. And we'll get Greg's tech on what's going on with the tech market. All right, Greg Weldon, how are you doing this morning? Hello, guys. How are you doing? Great. Well, I mean, I'd be doing a little better if my stocks were trading higher, which a lot of them are getting crushed this morning. But hey, I mean, that's just yeah. it's just another day. You know, what, are you, what have you been watching, Greg? Well, you know, I mean, we could, gosh, what am I watching? I'm watching about 2,000 things right now. Um, I think when you talk about the stock market, and I heard some of what you're saying, yeah, I mean, chips are in. I mean, that's all there is to it. And when you look at the high-flying stocks, it's not the names that you know, you normally are associating with this kind of move. Palo Alto might be a name you throw out there. Qualcomm, somebody, you know, even even IBM's in play here for crying out loud. So you got old school, you got new school, you got old school playing new school. So you have a lot going on in that sector. But the the market itself is rallying. It's like double bubblicious here. It's double bubble. Ah. If you remember that from we'll go old school, old school here, right? Double bubble, which is number one, the AI bubble. All right which, of course, some of these stocks are going to be worth a lot more money down the road. The question here is, what are the applications? We're working on the technology here, not even getting to the applications. Then how do you sell it? How do people use it? And how do you make money? So you have so many steps that I would say maybe you're out over your skis a little bit on that one. And then you look at really the economic slash Fed monetary conditions bubble because it's a bubble when the market just recently, it's come off these levels, was pricing in 3.75 as the Fed funds rate for the end of this year. That's pure insanity, almost 200 rate cuts this year, unless the stock market cracks wide open. So that's not going to happen while the stock market's at new highs and gold's at $2,000 and threatening to break out. So you have these two things where you're kind of out over your skis in a lot of ways in the stock market. That's not to say there's good opportunities. There are some sectors I really like. But overall, I think this market, you have one of the highest three-month uh, gains that we've seen going back. The pandemic was up there, but you have to go back years before that to see this level of appreciation that is built on an expectation for four and a quarter Fed funds. What if you don't get that? That's a problem. Are you going to take back what percentages gain compared to what the Fed might actually give us? I'm not saying you can't meet those expectations. I'm saying meeting those expectations, given the markets where they are, and given the economic data we have, seems unrealistic to me. So you mentioned you do have some sectors you like right now. Where are you looking? Well, I mean, I like, well, it's kind of like what we have liked because liking something from here is a little more difficult. Right. Okay. Like, like uh, you know, Dennis said before, very astute comment. I mean, you know, you, you're not going all in here. That's for sure. All right. What we've been in is, you know, you look at the financials say, well, I don't like the financials because the banks, there's issues with the banks, the balance sheets. It's kind of a mess, frankly, the small banks, commercial real estate. There's a lot of risk there. But it's the insurance companies have been skyrocketing like Aflac and Progressive at new all-time highs. So the KIA, you know, we do the sectors and the ETFs in our portfolio playbook product that we offer. The KIA has been a top performer. More recently, we've gotten into healthcare. Some of the labs like Amgen and some of these laboratories particularly are performing well. And then when you break it down, even the XPH and the Pharma looking to maybe break out after really severe underperformance. So you look at something like that, uh, real estate nibbling. I think when you look at housing, the home builders have come back nicely because you don't have enough homes. And when you break down the sales numbers, the number of homes sold that have been completed versus the number of homes sold that have not yet started, you start to see the pipeline plays very well for the home builders, especially because 
you're going to get some push in demand when the Fed starts lowering rates, mortgage rates come down, there's pent up demand. It's been, you know, a cost and a price issue. Well, the cost issue kind of lifts demand. You don't have supply. Prices could go crazy. And some of the real estate stocks, and especially the home builders, which have already performed, but even some of the underperformance in real estate could also do well. We like the uranium sector would be a place to be. And if there's something new, maybe I'm just starting to look at, not yet you know, maturing, would be copper. Yeah, I've been watching copper too. Of course, people watch copper as kind of a uh, uh, barometer for the overall market. And uh, you know, Southern Copper has been been ripping. It's up at eighty three dollars a share. People people call it Doctor Copper because they say you know it's in it's in so many different things from construction to electronics. Uh, how have you been playing copper? Are you watching like ETFs or are you are you playing individual names? We well we you know we do the individual names in terms of ranking the trends within sectors for our clients. Uh, we specifically I'm a CTA registered Series Three, so we trade the futures markets very actively, and then yeah we do the ETFs as well, just you know as a as a side gig. So the COPX would be a place to be. Southern Copper has been one that's good. HUD Bay might just be beginning to break out, so that might be kind of another name you could throw in there. Um, I would add too, though, just you know, throwing out another area that I think is just beginning to kind of come into play would be Europe and some of the stocks there, and uh, particularly markets like Italy, for example, where you have such underperformance compared to the U.S. and you have a central bank that's probably going to get ahead of the U.S. You have inflation expected in Italy tomorrow; it's supposed to be 0.4 year over year, 0.4 in inflation. They just posted record employment. In Italy. So, I mean, if you want to be there, if there's a place so I feel that is underperformed, the market's just breaking out on a long term basis that has a better fundamental backdrop to it, that has a central bank that might be quicker to come into play. Uh, Italy would be a place. Um, Japan, we got into Japan. I mean, the second the BOJ basically said, you know, look, it wasn't even that. It was really the balance sheet. They're expanding their balance sheet. I don't think people realize the Bank of Japan is executing QE right now and it's accelerating. And that has been a big thing when you throw in the weakness at the end. I think buying the Nikkei was a layup trade. And uh, so that's another one we've been involved in. Great. Let's take it back to Europe for a second. I just want to take it back to Europe for one second here and just expand on this. Because just quietly here, I mean, we've seen the European indices really outperform here in the last year. I mean, we don't give them any love. It seems like the media gives, you know, not a hell of a lot of love. But just quietly even looking, you know, the EFA since November, straight up, sitting at all-time highs. That used to be like, it seems like forever. It's just the U.S. markets is the place to be and everything else is underperforming. That's not the case really in the last little while. You know, with Japan, to your point, having, you know, pretty good moves here in the last year and a half to two years, Europe coming back here. Is there a place that, you know, the U.S. investors should start looking outside here now of the U.S. markets? The places you just mentioned, and you make a really good point because I had Bloomberg on before and they had a guest on and he said kind of the same thing. Like some of these places look really interesting, but U.S. has always outperformed and you have Infotech in the U.S., which is the dominant. So, we're you know, we everyone should stick with the U.S. And it's kind of like, yeah, but you're missing the data, man. When you look at the data, some of the economic data in the U.S. is horrible. You've went through some of that already in Europe, particularly in a place like Germany. Now, True. some of the places are not as robust as you might want them to be in terms of consumer final demand. Some of the retail sales numbers in Germany are not good. But when you look at Japan in particular, all right, number one, retail sales have been above 5% year over year for 13 straight months. All right. They've been positive for 21 straight months that you haven't seen that since the, the 1980s, right before the 90, you know, Nikkei crash, the economy is hot. Not only that inflation has come back down, but more so wages continue to rise because employment is maxed out. It's a very robust retail demand, labor market, wage gains on top of inflation. We have real wage gains. Japan's on fire right now. And when economically, and when you throw in the fact they're expanding the balance sheet, they have the yen is depreciated, which may be a trend change that you could look for would be to play the yen as capital flow starts to move into Japan, particularly from some of the places in Asia where you see outflow, particularly China. Uh, that could be a real interesting story. And you say, well, you know, Japan's never outperformed. And Japan's, yeah, well, that's true because most people haven't never seen Japan in a bull market. I remember the 80s, man. The 80s, Japan was rip-roaring. And it's kind of like back to the future for me in terms of Japan right now. So, Greg, you're telling me with Japan right now, which, you know, we haven't seen. It's It hit its highs in the stock market, like in the 80s, crashed. Haven't seen that yeah. since then. 
you're telling me all the economic numbers look good. There's, you know, no rampant inflation, wages growing, and their interest rates are negative right now, and they're keeping them there. That yep. sounds like a pretty good investment opportunity. Dude, it's known as the sweet spot. You know, it really is. You look for the sweet spot, and you're in the sweet spot now in Italy as well. So to me, these are two places, Spain kind of pulling up the rear. I like Germany too, just because the market's so robust and it can take in a lot of money. I see capital flow coming. But really, it's kind of the like you said. I mean, it is. It's the places where people have just gotten low to sleep that they'll never outperform the U.S. And I think that when you look at the currency dynamic, that's a whole nother story, too, because the U.S., you know, when the dollar rises, the U.S. stock market goes, goes down. The correlation is incredibly tight over history. Right. Wow. And right now, the dollar is threatening to break out. The dollar index gets above 104.35 in the cash U.S. dollar index. That's a major breakout that poses a problem in the sense that you're starting to add to a year-over-year -year dynamic. You've had all this base effect things with the dollar, not only with commodities and energy, but with the dollar as well. That's all kind of settled out now. Dollar breaks out here. That is kind of a situation where what is the economic evidence right now that says the Fed should cut rates immediately, like some people are saying? I don't see it. Some of the surveys, the regional surveys from the Fed, the ISM, the service sector starting to come unglued, but you don't see it you know, prevalent enough to the degree that you think inflation is going to really keep going down to 2%. If they want to do what Powell says, ensure that inflation gets back to 2 they are not cutting rates given the backdrop as it stands now. They need either more weakness in the labor market, which you see on the periphery, it's there. It's just not mainstream yet. And I think, you know, thinking the Fed's going to cut rates multiple times with stocks at new highs and gold at $2,000, I don't I don't see the logic behind that thought process. What derails this investor mentality, though? Because we know like they're hot for stocks and, you know, people are bullish and people are confident. And, you know, and, and, and interest rates rate like, decreases, you know, aside here. What's the imminent catalyst to come in and make people sell stocks? That's a great question. I don't know. I don't know the answer to that. <laughs> I mean, you know, I think certainly you have enough risk. When you, let's talk, one of my pieces, I did a special 2024 outlook piece that was massive and covered everything and happy to offer it to any of your people. But it's, you know, when you look at the risk, you know, war in 24 was one of the titles of one of the chapters of this piece. And when you talk about, you can't say the risk of civil war in the U.S. is zero. You can't say the potential for a U.S. to send, you know, National Guard into Texas and get into some kind of melee down there is zero. It's not zero. It's not high, but it's not zero. Right. When you're talking about the potential for Iran to achieve nuclear capacity and to dump on Israel, the potential the, the potential for that is not zero. Right? It's not high, but it's not zero. When you start talking about all the landmines out there right now, you know, I think any one of them. But when you start to really look at bigger picture stuff, I think a better answer is how do you keep pace with the next round of debasement the purchasing power of your money? Because they will print more money. They proved it already last March. I mean, come on. AVB goes up and you have some issues in the banking system. They're really small compared to what we've seen in the past. And they print the most money in one week ever outside of three weeks in the pandemic. How quick were they to dump QT and print money the second there's an issue in the banks? So, you know, they will print more money. The question is, and stocks will go up. All right. I'm, you know, I think longer term, it's a bull market. The question is, will those gains keep you covered for the loss in the amount of stuff your paper money can buy? And you can say, look, Argentina makes a new high in the stocks every year. Turkish stock market makes a new high every year. People are not getting richer in those places. They're, they're losing, you know, in relative value. So that's one of the things I look at. It's like, don't get lulled to sleep thinking, well, the stock market has to go down 40% for me to kind of lose out. That doesn't necessarily have to be the way it happens. Yeah, definitely a lot of, you know, potential risks out there that investors are worried about. All right, Greg, we're running up on time here. Yep. You got any uh, hot takes? I mean, it sounds like you don't you don't think the Fed's cutting rates this afternoon. What what else uh, What else do you think is going to happen, I guess, the next quarter? Give us some pr pr predictions. I think in the short term, you know, the risk right here is that Powell wants to scale back some of the expectations in the forward markets in the Fed. So, you know, you might get a little dose of, of hawkish talk. I mean, there's no reason for him to say anything dovish when the stock market is doing what it's doing. No reason at all. So, you know, just balancing the risk reward, which is what we do every day, the risk would be for him to not deliver and validate what the stock market is doing because they're not ready yet. Uh, in the context of the next, you know, three months or so, 
you know, again, I think there's rotation of capital. I, you know, I'm still in the XLK. I mean, I'm going to ride that wave for sure, but I think you need to be more diversified overseas. There are commodity sectors that I really like. I like energy a lot here. You've had a situation where gasoline, for example, you have this huge building gasoline. You're above the five-year average. But output is 6% below a year ago and 7% below two years ago. The second demand kicks in, you're going to see these inventories drain fast. The market's not priced for that at all. Now you have the swaps starting to move higher too, show some anxiety about the spring and having enough gas into the peak demand season. So watching stuff like that, energy to me could be really hot uh, going forward in the next few months. And I don't think people are fully expecting that either. Well, there you go. We've been on with Greg Weldon. You can get more at Weldon online. I'll drop that link in the chat. Greg, thanks for hopping on with us this morning. Great to uh, great to chat. Yeah, my pleasure. You guys do a great job. Always my, uh, my pleasure to uh, contribute. Appreciate it. All right, we'll talk soon, Greg. All right, guys, again, that was Greg Weldon dropping the link to Weldon online in the chat if you guys want to hear some more of that. Uh, thank you, Greg. All right, let's bring on, De let's bring Dennis back on. We've got a couple things to touch up on real quick. Last 10 minutes of the show. Let's talk some Tesla real quick, just for one minute. You sure. had this news last night, a Delaware judge uh, shot down Musk's $55 billion compensation package. Basically what happened was a shareholder filed a complaint saying, Hey, look, they did not disclose this compensation package with shareholders before they approved it. Uh, then the judge agreed with the shareholder and said, uh, you know, that the board, I guess, didn't didn't disclose properly this compensation package before it was approved. I don't know all the different intricacies of this. There's a 200-page report uh, you can go through if you really want to. Either way, Musk was not happy about this, went out to X.com, his own site, and tweeted, uh, you know, never start a company in Delaware was pretty ticked off. Stock yeah. traded down on this news. Um, what do you think is going on here, Dennis? Um, I think, well, at one, you, and to your point you were making to me on the pre-pre-market show when we were discussing this, you're like, well, it's $55 billion more for test shareholders. So why is it going down on this? Right. I think it's the risk of pissing Musk off more. There's a risk. Musk has threatened to do more business outside of Tesla. Musk has threatened if he doesn't get more ownership to do things and some innovations outside of Tesla. Imagine he starts moving some of these operations outside of Tesla, not the car business. Imagine Musk, in a worst case scenario, just decides to pack up and leave. I've had it. I'm going to go work on SpaceX, all my other projects over here outside of Tesla you know, Twitter, SpaceX, and, you know, you just like Tesla, you guys run it. Imagine if that happened. Imagine if that happened. So this right here pisses them off and gets them thinking like that. And that's the risk. I mean, Musk leaves Tesla. How much does this stock? I'm not saying it's going to happen because I definitely, I'm just saying hypothetical situations. Musk leaves Tesla. How much does the stock fall that day? 25, 30. The percent, not points. Right. 25, 30%. And guess what, Dennis? I'd be buying. I would like Tesla more. I would. I wouldn't. You I would like Tesla. Musk, but maybe, maybe he'd come back. You I know, would like Tesla really more. I would back. like the car part of Tesla more long term. I'd have more conviction holding the stock if Elon wasn't running the show there. Not saying if Elon wasn't involved at all, but I think what you've seen in the past year or so is that Elon's leadership has, has and, you know, got to give the man credit to stock company would not be where it is today without him not even close not even close but i think what you're seeing now is that he's almost more of a liability than an asset to the company to share oh gosh i completely disagree with that i think there's so much in the last year here. in the last year with, with everything human, that's going on with twitter like he, here's what musk does right is he's you know got this premium multiple and he almost feels an obligation to build into this multiple he wants tesla to be the most valuable company in the world he really does he said it he believes tesla's gonna be the most valuable company in the world so you want musk involved here like to you know he's going on the next big revenue stream he's obviously you know that's a car company but he's focused on these humanoids and he's working on this stuff because he believes this is going to be the next big revenue stream and i think he's right i think it is going to be the next big revenue stream I mean, he just knows how to hire the right people in the right places, the stuff he has done. I mean, Musk, I, I would, you know, I'd love to just be, you know, fully invested with Musk all the time. I love Elon Musk as a businessman. Who works harder? The guy sleeps four hours a day. Did you hear that conversation? He was talking about that. 
He's like, he tried to bring it down, or, or six hours a day. I guess he tried to bring it down to four hours a day so he could work 20. You know, and they asked him, you know, favor in that favor interview. How many days did you work last year? 362 out of 365. He took three days off only. The guy is a workhorse. The guy is a genius. The guy is the ultimate employee. There's nobody that probably works harder than Elon Musk. Nobody. I mean, he's the richest man in the world, and he works the hardest. I mean, I well, look. I, all I'm saying is, I think Tesla. there's a, I think Musk there's a liability. Musk is is Tesla. I think there's a reason you have some of its board members and biggest shareholders kind of, you know, trying to push back against Elon. And it's, and again, I'm not trying to take away anything that he's done or getting the company to this point. But in the last year, in the last 12 months, it'd be hard for someone to make an argument that Elon hasn't harmed, you know, shit, whether it's the, t- the Twitter purchase, whether it's and everything could work out in the long term for him. I'm, I'm not rooting against him by any means. I'm just saying in terms of, of leadership of the company and the board in the last year, you have a lot of division. You have a lot of people that are upset with his actions. Uh, and again, I would be buying that stock on that dip again. Like uh, that's assuming it goes down 30 percent and say, no, I can get Tesla at this valuation. Uh, and then you maybe have a, a, a different leader stepping in. So Agree to disagree there, but Dennis, we've got four more I minutes. I think just clarifying your comment, I think what you want to say, and I would agree with this, is Elon's mouth, Elon Musk's mouth is a liability. What he's going to come out of his mouth, because you never know what he's going to say next, is the liability. It's not his brain. Yeah, but it, it's his commentary that is a liability. You don't know what he's going to say next. Right. And I mean, you saw that with him venturing into, you know, getting more political on Twitter and stuff, which I don't care about his political takes. I mean, everyone, everyone running a company, whatever, is going to have their own political takes. But it's like the Michael Jordan thing, like Republicans buy shoes, too. So Michael Jordan was cautious of never venturing into any, you, you know, hot button political issues and talking because he didn't want to he didn't want to get in the way of sales. Elon doesn't care about that. Elon. And I mean, like when you when you think about who buys Tesla cars in California, in New York, it's typically people that uh you know care about the environment and stuff so you had a lot of people including the biggest individual shareholder i forget the guy's name a chinese billionaire uh calling elon musk out over this stuff so it's not just me it's people that have billions of dollars in tesla stock going after elon for this stuff so it's yeah i mean that's a that thanks for helping me clean it up commentary commentary. and i I, I agree with that point i mean i wish he would just keep his mouth shut Twitter is probably the worst thing for him because he comes out there. But again, he gets away with saying a lot of bad stuff and people forget, you know, people forget, you know, they were calling them, you know, like obviously with, with the comments there over in Israel and, you know, based on the Jewish comments that he gave, yeah. you'd think like that would just kill his brand instantly, but it really hasn't. Gets, I mean, people have forgotten about that again. If somebody lot. else says that, they cancel them. You know, if somebody else says something like that, they're canceled and they're forgotten forever. This is a world where you can't make public mistakes. He's forgiven, though. He's one that he's like the exception of the world. They have not canceled Elon Musk, despite a lot of bad things have come out of his mouth. All right. Well, let's before we wrap up, I saw some people in the comments asking about ETF effects. We were talking about it before the show, Dennis. Uh, What do you see in this conversation? What did you say? That's a big conversation. I know, for, for two minutes. You want to save it yeah. for tomorrow or are you going to? Um, just, just on these days, I'll just sum it up very quickly. And I've given this argument before. On these days where you have mega caps reporting, ETF effects are very pronounced. So when you have Microsoft and Google reporting and both stocks are down, what you will see is those non-tech components of the QQQ often get bought. You know, you often see staples have a good day. It's natural rotation. It's defensive. But it's also natural in the ETF itself because, believe it or not, I've said this before, QQQ has about 25 of the 100 components are non-tech. Pepsi in the QQQ. Costco in the QQQ. You know, what are they doing? Honeywell's in the QQQ. What's it doing in there? Gilead's in the QQQ. It doesn't really, I guess it's techie because it's biotech. You know, AEP in the QQQ. You've got BKR in the QQQ. It's an oil stock. What's it doing in the QQQ? You've just got to remember that the natural rotation likes to buy those non-tech components. See, there's Pepsi, Comcast, T-Mobile. I mean, those ones there naturally like to catch a bid when the mega cap tech is getting hit. So that's my point. And that's the ETF effects. I honestly believe Starbucks started really ripping after Microsoft started getting hit. Because the Starbucks quarter wasn't great. It was trading down on the initial number. And then Microsoft and Google got hammered and they started buying Starbucks up. And they're like, well, we got to buy something. 
And, you know, it's non-tech. And again, Starbucks expectations were low. There's a lot of arguments there too. But these ETF effects are very pronounced. Thursday will be the next day where you see very pronounced ETF effects because Apple, Amazon, and Meta all reporting on the same day. If you get Apple, Amazon going opposite directions, that can offset it. But if you get them all going the same direction, you'll see more of this same ETF effect. So just expect that. Even O'Reilly Automotive is in the QQQ. And what's it doing in there? O'Reilly. Lulu kind of is. It's the technology of retail. <laughs> but I mean, Monster, but I mean, there's a lot of non-tech components in there. So just be aware that on Tech Rec Day, those stocks, especially those ones that are in the QQQ, tend to get a bit. Now, it can reverse. If they turn around, they start buying Tesla and Microsoft and, you know, Google, that trade can reverse itself. So don't just, you know, say, oh, yeah, this is a slam dunk. You got to keep an eye on those other stocks. But that's what tends to happen. All right. Well, that will wrap up for us today. It is 9.01 a.m. Thank you to everyone who tuned in to Benzinga's pre-market prep. Make sure to smash the like, subscribe to the channel if you have not already. We will be getting into live trading. Make sure to stick around for the open Set for a big open this morning again after all those earnings. Should be volatile, so uh, make sure to stay tuned. Dennis, thank you. Thank you to Greg Weldon. We will be back tomorrow, 8 a.m., and we'll be bringing back our man, Joel O'Connor. So without further ado, happy trading. Stay green.